John chapter 14. We're going to be looking from verses 15 to the end. The psalmist in Psalm 94, where we've just sung from, spoke of anxious thoughts overwhelming uh, him. And there being many anxious thoughts around him as he looked at the life and the, that God called him to live and the circumstances in which God had placed him. I wonder, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like life is too hard? Or if you're a Christian, that the Christian life is too hard. That I just can't go on. I don't have the resources. Well, there's truth in these verses for you. Or maybe you're looking at starting the Christian life. Or setting out on this journey. And you think, well, that does seem really difficult with the pressures of the modern world and 21st century life. I don't know that I could keep it up. Well, these verses are for you. Maybe sometimes you find yourself thinking it would be so much easier if Jesus was here in person, right beside me, to walk me through circumstances and to advise me. That would help. Well, these verses are for you. Maybe you feel alone in living the Christian life. These verses are for you. Maybe you struggle in life with a sense of Does anybody really care for me? These verses are for you. In them we see Jesus promising an array of resources to his disciples who are going to need to live for him in hard circumstances. When we read these verses, it's difficult for us to remember their context. Jesus seems so composed, so focused on the disciples that we could forget that in a few hours he is going to be betrayed by a close friend, arrested, stitched up in a mockery of a trial, and that the next morning, the next morning, he is going to be crucified. And in addition to all the physical pain of crucifixion, there is going to be the emotional turmoil and the spiritual trauma of the judgment of God, of the wrath of hell, And he's going to experience an anguish like no anguish that has ever been or would ever be ever again. And yet in this moment sit around him 11 anxious and worried men. And Jesus, well what what would you say if you were in his shoes? Would you not be inclined to say to them, look pull yourselves together men, I need you to support me in this moment. I need you to think about what I've got to face, what, is, what, is, what you've got to face compared to what I've got to face. But Jesus does nothing of the sort. He knows how we're put together. He knows our worries, our anxieties. He knows our weaknesses. And he speaks to these frightened, feeble men and makes incredibly generous promises to them. It's almost as if he's giving them, reading out his last will and testament. I am going and here's what I am bequeathing to you, my followers. Not simply to them, but to us, his followers. It is going to equip you and me to live for him in this world. As I said, there is a massive amount in this. Uh, We may well come back to it a little later on, um, just to to pick up some of the, 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 the truths again and look at them. But we're going to focus on three great gifts that are in this passage this morning. First of all, there is an amazing helper. 
an amazing helper is promised. If you love me, Jesus says in verse uh, 15, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Even before we get to the promise of the Spirit, just notice that first sentence. If you love me, you will keep what I command. If you love me, you will keep what I command. And Jesus says the same sort of thing uh, later on, um, on down the, the chapter. Here's a promise that love for Jesus helps us, drives us to keep his commands. And then you think, well, hold on a minute. Well, how can I keep his commands and how can I love him? Well, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. A moment ago in the previous uh, verses, Jesus had said, you can ask the Father for anything in my name and I will give it to you. Well, much more important than our asking the Father or asking Jesus is Jesus asking. He knows exactly what we need. And here he tells the disciples what he's going to ask the Father for. He's going to ask the Father to give the disciples another, well, the word here is counselor. It could be translated advocate. It could be translated helper. It could be translated comforter, and maybe the Bible you've got, that's what it's, how it's translated. Because English doesn't quite have one word that captures this rich Greek word. The word is made up of two parts. It means to somebody who's called alongside somebody else. In your mind's eye, picture yourself in court, and somebody is standing beside you to defend you. Picture yourself running a marathon, and you're struggling to get to the finish. Uh, and somebody comes alongside you and puts their arm around you and starts to carry you to, to the finish. They're a strengthener. They're a, an encourager. Picture in your mind's eye. You're struggling with sorrow and grief. And somebody comes alongside you and puts their arm around your shoulder and comforts you. Imagine yourself sitting in a, facing a difficult problem and somebody comes alongside you And they start to encourage you to keep going. And they start to say, well, here, do this and do that. They equip you. That's all or some of all that's encapsulated in this word. That's used for the Holy Spirit. He's an advocate, like we'd find in court. He's a helper. He's an encourager. He's a comforter. He's all those things. Jesus is sending this amazing helper. Who is he? He's the Holy Spirit. He's the third member of the Trinity. He's fully God. All the goodness of God, all the godness of God is present in the Holy Spirit. He is not less in any way than God. He's no less God than the Father or the Son. And note, he's a a person. He's not an it. He's not a force. He's The word that's used for counselor, advocate, or helper, or comforter refers to a person. Not a a power or a force. And he's described here as another counselor. 
or another advocate or another helper. Jesus is the first counselor or comforter or advocate or helper. The disciples knew he was all of those things and now he's going and he says, don't worry, I've got another one. A successor. A substitute. Not an inferior substitute, but an equal one. The third member of the Trinity. Jesus is heading heavenwards to be our advocate in heaven. 1 John 2, 1 tells us that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. But we also have an advocate on earth. This is even better. And it's going to be permanent. He will be with you forever. And what's he going to do? Well, Jesus is going to teach a lot about the Holy Spirit in the, the next few chapters. But let me just take what's in this, these verses and set it out for us. We're going to spend most of our time on the first point. Because there's four things here I want us to see about this helper, what he'll do. He's going to accompany us. He's going to go with Christ's people. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to help you and be with you forever. He's not going to go. Jesus is going. It's returning to heaven. But this one will never go. He's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you. And will be in you. You see, all throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been enabling Jesus to resist temptation, to perform miracles, to to live and to, to walk in God's ways. The disciples have seen him at work. He's been with them already. But now Jesus says he's going to not just be with you, but in you. He is going to accompany you wherever you go. Jesus is going The disciples are going to be scattered across the Roman Empire. They are going to be representing Jesus as his evangelists in lots of different places. Jesus couldn't physically be with each of them in bodily form. But the Holy Spirit is able to be present with and in each one of them. Jesus promises them one exactly like him with all the resources and all the power that will come to them. And he's going to be with them and in them. And both those words are significant. He's with them. The word speaks of fellowship. The word speaks of somebody going with you and a togetherness in any enterprise. You're in it together. They're with you. Somebody says to you, you're engaging in something, they say, I'm with you. Jesus says, he's with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And he's in you. In you. He's not just walking alongside us to encourage us. He's in us to equip us, to empower us, to enable us, to strengthen us. He's with us and in us. You know, in the Old Testament, the great privilege of God's people, whenever they came out of Egypt and they were living in tents, traveling to the promised land, was that God said, I'll be with you. Make me a tent too. I want to be with my people. Wow, what an astonishing thing. That that God would say, I want to be with you. And then they built a temple and God came down and filled the temple later on. And then Jesus comes. And we're told in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
a next stage. He's with us. He's dwelling among us. But here, it goes one step further again. God the Spirit is going to dwell not simply with us, but in us. He is going to be in us and accompany us wherever we go. With the disciples, in the disciples. With us, in us. Do you ever stop and think about that? What an amazing condescension of the Holy Spirit. We marvel at the Son of God coming down from the heights of glory to the depths of the shame of the cross. Do you ever think about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit condescending to come and live within us. Me with all my pride and sinful thoughts, with all my struggles against temptation, me with all my indwelling sins, you with yours, and he takes up residence. It's an incredible thing to accompany us, to be with us. And actually, as Jesus goes on, we find it's even more than that because through the Spirit, Jesus says, I'm going to come to you. And not only am I going to come to you, verse 23, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. Which is it? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it Jesus or is it Jesus and the Father? It's the whole Trinity is saying, I will come and make my home, my dwelling in you. You know, at the beginning of John 1, Jesus said, in my Father's house, are many rooms. The word that's used for rooms only occurs in one other place. Jesus uses it to describe in the opening of John 14 that he's going to prepare a place for us where we will one day dwell with God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit forever and ever. And the one other place that that word occurs is right here in verse 23. My Father and I will come and make our home our room with them. Incredible. Before we are in our room in heaven, the triune, with the triune God, the triune God comes and takes up room in our hearts, in our lives. Here's the wonder of Christianity. It's to be in living relationship with God. This is to have God accompanying us. And I know we can't see this. And Jesus is telling his disciples this because they're not going to see it. But it's real nonetheless. And we have to live by faith that each day, if you are trusting in Christ, you face each day accompanied by the Holy Spirit bringing to you as well God the Father and God the Son. You are never on your own. You're always accompanied. Is it any wonder that Paul calls the Holy Spirit the down payment or the deposit guaranteeing our salvation? Before we are in heaven, heaven is in you. What else are we told? about the Holy Spirit's work in us. What's he in us to do? He's here to strengthen us. He'll strengthen us. He's called this word that's translated counselor, helper, advocate, or encourager, or comforter. He's one to stand with us when we're weak, when we're under pressure from temptation. Remember, he's with you, and he's in you to strengthen you. Think how much 
you would be equipped to face temptation if Jesus was standing right beside you. You think, I could do this. He's with me. I could resist because he's here. Well, Jesus wants us to grasp that God the Holy Spirit is with us and in us to strengthen and equip. And he's the same, and we've got to grasp this, he's the same Holy Spirit who indwelt Jesus. Because whenever Jesus came to live as your substitute and mine, he, he didn't use his powers, his divine powers for his own glory. He lived by the power of the Spirit as a man. So whenever he goes out into the wilderness to face temptation, we're told he goes out full of the Holy Spirit. And how is it that he resists Satan's maelstrom of temptation? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is living in you to equip you and to strengthen you. All the circumstances that Jesus faced, what enabled him to live a godly life in those circumstances, to cope with the pressures, to cope with the worries, the anxieties, the burdens, the fears? What was it? Was it because he was God? No. It was because he was relying on the Holy Spirit. He did it all in the power of the Spirit. Because he's fully God, but also fully man. And he came to stand in your shoes and mine as men and women, as human beings. The Holy Spirit equipped him, enabled him, strengthened him. And that same Spirit is in us. You might think, well, I'll not, I, I don't know, I'll grow much in the Christian life. But the Holy Spirit is the one who lives in you. And the Spirit produces fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, we're told. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what he produces. <coughs> He's here to strengthen us to enable us, to equip us, whatever words we want to use. In Romans 8, we're told he helps us to defeat indwelling sin. In Romans 8, we're told that he helps us in our weakness. In Romans 8, we're told that he helps us to pray and we don't even know what to pray for. He's there to strengthen us. What an incredible gift. And we need to remember this. In a moment in John 15, Jesus is going to say, without me, you can do nothing. My problem is I think I can do stuff. And I get up in the morning and I try to live my life in my own strength. And we'd be much better getting up in the morning and saying, Holy Spirit, I need you and your strength today. I know you're with me. Help me to rely on you. Lord Jesus, help me to rely on you and your Spirit today. Holy Spirit, is there to strengthen us. He's there to assure us. He's there to assure us. On verse 20, Jesus says, On that day you will realize that I am in you, and you are in me. What day? Well, it's the day that the Holy Spirit comes, the Comforter comes. And on that day, that day, the disciples will realize that they are in Christ, and Christ is in them. Now, We'll deal with this more at another time. But those two phrases, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. There's the anchor for your faith and salvation. You're in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's job is to assure you that you've put your trust in Jesus, that you're in him, you're connected to him, you're joined to him, that you're safe in him. That's your anchor, the anchor of your salvation. You're in Christ. That's your new location. 
And the Holy Spirit assures you that you belong to him. But Christ is also in you. That's the engine that drives you're living for Jesus. Christ is in you by his Spirit. And that will drive you to live for him. The job of the Holy Spirit is to assure the disciples, to assure you and me, if we've put our trust in Christ, that we are in Christ. He assures us. That removes from us, doesn't it, all the uncertainty that we can face at times that cripples us. Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Well, it's not my job to reassure you. It's Jesus' job, or sorry, it's the Holy Spirit's job to reassure you that you belong. And then the fourth thing the Holy Spirit does here is he instructs us. He instructs us. He's called the Spirit of Truth. But the Advocate, or the Counselor, verse 25, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. You can imagine the disciples panicking. How will we remember what Jesus has told us? Jesus is one step ahead of them. He promises a teacher who will remind them of everything that Jesus has taught them. And he has given the Holy Spirit to us today to instruct us. Now note carefully, the Holy Spirit doesn't bring new teaching. He reminds us of what Jesus said. He calls to our minds. He presses into our hearts the Word of God as it is read, as it is preached. He pokes at our consciences with the truth of His Word. So let me ask you, are you taking in God's Word? Because as you take in God's Word, the Holy Spirit will instruct you. He'll teach you. And haven't we found that at times when You've been reading or you've been in the Bible study or you've been listening to a sermon and God has taken it and particularly pressed it into circumstances that you know that I knew nothing about. But how did that happen? It's because the Holy Spirit knows you inside out and he knows what you need. And he presses it into your heart and into your life. You might think, well, if I had Jesus walking beside me telling me, here's the truth that you need to know for today. I could live for today. Well, God says to us, I've given you my spirit to do exactly that job. What an amazing helper we've got. Do you feel that living the Christian life is hard? Maybe at school. Remember, you've got the Holy Spirit to help. He goes with you at the start of each day. As you go out the door, you get out of bed maybe even you need to remind yourself the Holy Spirit is with me you find living for Christ hard at work at home in the mart on the farm in illness in temptation in trying circumstances in in just perplexities about life and relationships with other people you have got a helper It's not simply up to us to muddle through in our own strength. We've got instruction and assurance and strengthening and presence. An amazing helper. Let's look briefly at the remaining two things I want us to see from this passage. This is no cold, distant God that we have. There is an incredible love stated here in these verses. 
you know, way back in the 1980s, I think it was, and the American Olympic team had a diver called Greg Luganis. He was a 10-meter uh, diver. Uh, won gold in the Olympics. Uh, he was asked how he performed under such stress and pressure. And he said, well, when I'm on the board, uh, I say to myself, well, no matter what happens here, I know my mum loves me. And then I dive. No matter what happens for the Christian, we're told here that we are loved in the most astonishing way. It is hard to live for Christ. We are relational beings. And there's a hunger in us to be loved and appreciated. And yet the world around us can overlook us and treat us as nobodies and mock us and ridicule us. And we we can feel alone at times. Or perhaps through other circumstances in our lives, we just feel unloved and unappreciated as if nobody cares. And the disciples are going to be scattered to the four corners of the empire. And Jesus here reminds them of the incredible love in which they are held. He says in verse 21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him. We've already been told that loving Jesus enables us to keep the commands. Read that in verse 15. But loving Jesus as well as helping us to keep the commands of Jesus also draws down the love of the Father and the love of the Son. In verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Fantastic! Sometimes we're we're busy looking at, I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this. We need to love Jesus more and that will help us do this and this and this. We need to grow in love for Christ. But look at what Jesus goes on to say. My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Later on, Jesus is going to say that he loves the disciples the same way the Father loves him. Later on again in chapter 17, he's going to say that the Father loves the disciples even as much as he loves the Son. Incredible. The Son is loved with an everlasting love. The Son is loved with an unwavering love. And He and the Father love the disciples with that same everlasting, unwavering love. The same is true for us. The intensity with which the Father loves the Son, so He loves you if you are in Christ. Holy Spirit is the communicator of that love to us because He too loves us. And this is the God who promises to be with you. A God who has loved you from before time began. A God who sent His Son to die for you. A God who, if you're in Christ, has never not loved you. And He promises to be with you. He promises to work all for your good. God is not sitting at some great computer terminal in the sky trying to write a program that controls all the events that are happening in the world as if when there's somebody over there and I need to program something in for them. No, no, he looks at you over there with the intensity of love that he would have for you if you were the only Christian on the face of the globe. In fact, more than that, he looks at you with an intensity of love as if you were 
Jesus Christ himself standing there or sitting there. The Father loves you with the same love that he has for his Son. Now do you think you could trust him to orchestrate everything for your good? Do you think you could trust him to do what's best for you? Do you think you could trust him when he says, this is how I want you to live because he loves you with this astonishing love? For various reasons, we might doubt God's love. The disciples are going to be assailed by the greatest trial of their lives. But God, the Son, says to them, I want you to know this, that you are loved by my Father and by me. Does that not drive us too? It will drive them to serve. We don't perform to be loved. We don't obey to be loved. We obey because we are loved. Loved with a love that you cannot begin to measure or imagine. Note that Jesus doesn't say, the one who obeys me will be loved by my Father. He says, the one who loves me. The one who loves me. I think even at times in our disobedience, we're asked, do we love Jesus? We say yes. We say yes, don't we? We do love him. After all he's done for us. Now let me be clear, there'll be times in our disobedience when our sin will cloud our awareness of God's love for us. It may also bring his fatherly displeasure, but it will not diminish his love. We have an astonishing, an incredible love. And then finally and briefly, We have a willing Savior. A willing Savior. As you go out this morning, you go with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You go with the love of God. But you also have this incredible Savior. The evening is drawing to an end. In a moment they are going to leave the room and head for the Mount of Olives. Jesus says to them, You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. Then he says, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. I know we're we're, we're moving over verses here, but we can't go into all of them. But here is what he's saying. He says, the prince of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. The devil is coming for him. He has his sights set on crushing Christ. Later, Jesus is going to say, this is the hour when darkness reigns. It'll be a terrifying time. Satan has sought him and fought him from his birth. Remember Herod slaughtering the infants. He hunted him down in the temptations and came gunning for him there. He's come at him through all the bizarre flurry to our thinking of all this demonic possession throughout Jesus' ministry. And he's being attacked from every angle, seeing demonic possession in front of him at every turn. And now this conflict is coming to its conclusion. And even though Jesus says, He has no hold over me. By that he means he's got nothing on me. That's the way we would say it. Satan has no accusation, no charge to dangle over Jesus' head, no sin to accuse him of. Yet that's not going to stop Satan from all his malevolent wickedness that he's about to unleash on Christ. And what does Jesus say? Come now. Let's go. Let us leave. 
He's going to leave this safe, quiet room with his friends. And he's going to step out into the maelstrom of malevolence that will lead to Calvary. The prince of this world is gunning for him. And Jesus essentially says, let's go meet him. Here's his generosity. Oh, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us this incredible love, but he gives us himself. You know, this scene is almost like two gunslingers in an old western. And the good guy and the bad guy face each other at opposite ends of the street and they start to walk towards each other. And the the first one to move is the good guy. And he strides towards his opponent, step by step, closing the gap so that there will be no mistake, no missing. You watch as the bad guy draws his gun and you look to see if the good guy draws his as he got there quicker But there's no gun, there's not even a holster. And you hear shot after shot, you see bullet after bullet thumping into the good guy as the prince of this world keeps on firing. That's what we've got in this scene here. Christ walking out into a flurry of bullets from Satan. Oh yes, he's going to triumph. Make no mistake. Even as he lies dying, he says, it's finished. I've won, essentially. I've won. He has got us our salvation. But see his willingness to die. That's how willing our Savior is to freely lay down his life for you. The God-man walking into combat for you. Here's the ultimate sign of his generosity. He gives himself. He gave himself. So that you could be safe. Now could you live for him? Let me in finishing just make three points of application. If you're not yet a Christian this morning. Who's going to love you enough to die for you? Who's going to fight for you to free you from the prince of this world? You need someone to set you free. And he offers to do it. You need someone to change you from the inside out. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He'll go to the cross to bring you freedom. And he'll send the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, come to Christ this morning and ask him to save you. Maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian. Ask yourself, do I love Jesus? Do I love him for what he did for me? Stepping out that evening to go towards the cross, willing to take on Satan's sin and death so that I could be free? Am I trusting in what he did for me or in my own performance? Then ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear to you, to assure you that you belong. That's his job. Maybe you are a Christian this morning. Maybe you're weary Look to the Holy Spirit for strength. Maybe you're fed up trying to obey. Lift your eyes to the one who walks out to meet the prince of this world. Lift your eyes to the one who loves you with an everlasting love. And let your heart be drawn in love to him. Because if you love him, you will keep his commands. That's his promise. Love for him will be the engine which drives and fuels our obedience. Are you weary In obeying him. Well don't look at what he calls you to do. Look at him and what he's done for you. And love for him will drive the obedience of him.
So how will we live? I want you to listen as we come to the end of the service for what Jesus has spoken of here in these words in this chapter. The truths of them are repeated at the end of just about every service. You leave, if you're one of Christ's people, you leave each week assured by God of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the love of God, and of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You leave here assured that you have been rescued. You leave here assured that God loves you with an everlasting love. And you leave here, as it were, with the Holy Spirit putting his arm around your shoulders and saying, I am walking out with you into this day, this week, whatever it has in store for you, I'm in, I'm in it with you. And I'm in you in it. And so we can live for Christ in this world, in all its struggles and difficulties. If you're able, let me ask you to stand as we come to God in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, what a majestic set of promises our Savior has given to us. What majestic resources. All of the resources of heaven. And we thank you. An amazing helper to go with us and in us. To strengthen us, to assure us, and to, to instruct us. How we thank you. Oh Lord God, what an incredible promise of love that we who are dust, we who are sinners, could be loved with such an immeasurable love. A love that the Father has for the Son. A love that the Son has for the Father. That we could be the recipients of it. Oh Lord God, let not Satan rob us of an awareness of that love. Let us marvel at it. And, O Lord God, that we would have such a Saviour who would lay down his life for us freely and willingly. O Lord God, we thank you. Help us to know the accompaniment that we have. Help us to know the fellowship we have and the love that we have and the salvation that we have. Lord, we ask it so that we might live for Jesus in this world that is so opposed to him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.